Chris Hobbs here, president of TTT Studios, uh, where we make the dreams happen uh, in the software and design and development uh, here in Vancouver. Over the years, we've met so many interesting people and heard so many great stories that I thought, hey, let's have a podcast. Let's share some of these great Vancouver international Canadian uh, voices and, and hear the exciting things they have to share. So I will be doing this as often as I can, and um, I'm, I'm really excited. We've already got some really interesting local entrepreneurs lined up who are who are volunteered their time to, to hear some questions from us and, uh, you know, share so that everyone here can get better at what they do and learn from each other. In this episode, aka number three, I speak with Chris Hurd, CEO and co-founder of Vancouver-based company Olive Technologies. Chris shares his experiences running Olive, whose community and AI platform helps enterprises evaluate technology decisions quickly and free of bias. Some of the interesting stuff we discuss include his experience as a UK transplant doing business in Canada, as well as how Olive became the only Canadian company selected to take part in the Seattle 2020 cohort of tech stars. Chris is hilarious and a salesperson's salesperson, as you will quickly understand. All of that and a Guinness World Record holder too. Now, let's listen to it together. Thank you so much for joining us today on Afternoon Tea. So we have today Chris Hurd. Chris is the CEO and co-founder of Olive, a British transplant and an all right bloke as far as I can tell. And I can tell a lot. Um, in fact, I remember the day that uh, that we met Chris because uh, you actually met my brother before me, I believe. I think you met David. And he actually came up to me right after meeting. Uh, and said, I met the salesman salesman. This guy is incredible. He can talk. You would love him. And uh, I just wanted to say, it's something that I, I remembered very well because when I did meet you, I'm like, yep, that's exactly who we just met, you know? And uh, I've, I've always been impressed and really enjoyed, you know, even our small small group working together. I've really enjoyed just, you know, the fun you have with life and your ability to to look at a problem and, uh, and, and, and solve it in a really, really professional way. Um, so anyhow, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. And uh, I've got a confession to make. To be honest, the first time I met you, I thought you were, David. That would not be the first person to say that. <laughs> So, so that was my uh, that was my first intro. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, it was it was great meeting David. I spent we spent a bit of time when we we first started working together, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I I never really thought of myself as a salesperson salesperson. I've never really been into sales, and I was kind of forced into it. I kind of fell into it. Uh, but it's nice that you recognize that I'm good at it. So I'm happy. I'm really happy that you noticed it. Maybe I should just say you're a natural speaker. How about that? You know, the the accent might be slightly foreign. But it's pretty natural. <laughs> I give it a go, yeah. I've been working on this accent for about 36 years so far. So pretty well. yeah. keep, keep it up, keep it up. I just want to touch on, actually, a um, little adventure that we had, I guess, before all this COVID fun. I guess it was, what, last last spring? last. I think it was like May, April, May. April, year, May, yeah. yeah, where, you know, just happened to be down both in San Francisco. And uh, I was getting a tour of uh, Facebook. And this is where I'll say, I mean, I'll honestly say you are the salesperson salesperson because <laughs> you hitched a ride on that trip. And you know what? I'm so glad you did because it was so much better with you. And Joe, of course, Joe Darko, who's, who's just an awesome. awesome, 
awesome guy to give us such a great tour. Um, But I got to say, I really enjoyed doing that tour with you because, A, it was an eye-opener. The food was great. And I think you brought a lot of value in that conversation between Joe and I, because I think honestly we could have went straight from 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 Facebook to some bar and just had a blast right after. Uh, granted, I'm pretty sure Facebook has 50 bars, you know, probably on that your was, campus. That place was crazy. It was like a city for people to work in. That was ridiculous. Huh? What was your first thoughts about the campus? Like, you know, thanks for inviting me. I think that was my uh, my mentality of just ask for everything and eventually you'll get something and it worked out that time so thanks for having me my feedback was i don't know uh if you need this much stuff <laughs> it was my first was my first takeaway uh you know as, as someone that's uh, when i was working in the uk i didn't work in tech and then i came over here and i worked at a tech company and we had pinball machines and you know hammocks and all sorts of craziness in the office that you just never you know i, I was used to cubicles um and i think that you know, as, as it's gone on over the years, the amount, the expectations of tech employees have gone so high to the point where when Facebook are offering, I mean, they had massage places and barbers and everything on site. Uh, I just thought it was like, that's what blew me away was like, do we need this much stuff for a tech company? I mean, I like it, but I don't know if it's necessary. It felt like a cruise ship. Like everyone had food in their hands, which was insane, you know? But but anyhow, it was, it was an eye-opener I had a great time. Um, and again, Joe, you know, I've got, got to give a shout out to him because he was an awesome host uh, and, and, and so much fun. Um, but, you know, now I want to reflect on, so we saw the, the mothership. We both thought it was a little, almost too much. But now in the days of COVID when, you know, heck, yesterday I had the most people come to the office. We had 15 people come to the office, which is like, you know, still not a, not a large percentage, but it's amazing. What's it like in an office like Facebook? Yeah. You know, is, is, do you think they think it's redundant now? I, I, what would your thoughts be? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, I'm sure it looks like Resident Evil. I'm sure it is pretty empty, um, a pretty empty place and an odd place to be right now. There's a lot of, that's a, that's a lot of rent. That's a lot of uh, services that you keep going. And while it's useful for the people that are there, I mean, now no one can be there. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people are looking at, uh, well, a lot of people are looking at offices in general as redundant. I don't necessarily agree with that myself. Uh, but something like that, I mean, that was, it was a place where people never have to leave. That was the idea of that Facebook headquarters, I think. And, and it was that place where we just, we, we're there all the time, give them everything, and then they'll continue working because, and be happy to work because they're in an environment they never want to leave. Now that isn't an option. So, yeah, I, I mean, if I owned Facebook's headquarters, I probably would be scaling it back. And I want to hear what your favorite part was, because and then we'll get we'll get off the Facebook thing. But the, the my favorite part of the tour was when we went outside and we did, and it was hot day, and we saw the Sun Microsystems sign at the entrance with Facebook on the side, and the back was Sun Microsystems. And the whole idea was, remember, they were the kings of the council. Now, you know, it's Sun. You know, they're, they're yeah. more legend than actual company, obviously. We could be that too. And I thought, wow, what, a, what an amazing you know, way to think about that, to think, you know, we, we're only here for so long, so let's make it an adventure. Let's reflect on that. What, what, what was your thoughts around that? So, well, you stole my idea. That was actually what I was going to oh. say. That was, my fa- that was going to be my favorite bit too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that things come and go and people, it, the thing is with Silicon Valley, it makes legends, right? There's legends there and there's names mm-hmm. that are always going to last forever and Facebook's always going to be there. Um, and some, it was, it was interesting that they kept the sign. I thought that was just a, a really cool thing for them to do. And I think there's this whole Silicon Valley mentality where it is a bubble and they all live in, inside this bubble, but they, they respect mm-hmm. each other and they, 
um, and they respect those kind of legends. So I thought that was really, really cool. For me, it was ridiculously hot, and I was wearing jeans and a blazer and cowboy boots. So like, I was enjoying it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But I could have done with some more appropriate clothing, I think, to fully enjoy that moment. But it was fantastic. You, you look good. You look yeah, good. Yeah, as long as you don't zoom in on the picture and see how much I'm sweating, I looked all right, yeah. <laughs> it was hot. I remember not wanting to go outside. Um, and the, the other thing, actually, I just want to touch on was the garden upstairs. That oh, place man. was incredible. Having, having an actual garden on your building that makes it feel like it's not even, it's like a forest. You don't even feel like you're in, you know, a corporate environment at all, which is just, just incredible. So. Well, it's hard to zen sometimes, I think. And we're really lucky in this city where mm. we can go outside. We can just walk on the beach and we can be in a forest in 20 minutes and all sorts of, it's a really awesome city to be in. But I think when you're in you know, Palo Alto particularly, and it's very, there's a lot of buildings around you, to have that environment where you can go out and just relax and sit in a garden and zen out for a little bit, really good touch, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you, well, you know, let's touch on the Vancouver thing. I mean, you're a transplant. You are, you know, a, a tried and true Vancouver right now. So why is Vancouver, or even Canada for that matter, a good place to do business? I'm officially Canadian as of last year, actually, of September last year. And I think... Felicitations. Thanks, thanks, mate. Well, firstly, I think Vancouver and Canada in general is a great place to live. So regardless of whether it's a good place to do business, I think that as a human being, I'd rather find somewhere that's a great place to live than somewhere to do business. And then if it's a good place to do business afterwards, then that's great. And I think Vancouver has both. Uh, for me, as a British person, as a European, I guess, kind of. I mean, after Brexit, I guess we're not Europeans anymore. Full, but we're full European now. Yeah, yes. whatever. We're still in the continent. Um, as, as a Brit, I've always looked up to America and I've really, like, obsessed with the American style of life. And I always wanted to move to California as a kid. And it was only when I met my wife, who's from Ontario, that I really realized that Canada was a real place. <laughs> I knew it existed, but I didn't really know much about mm -hmm. it. And then when we moved over here, I've got this real idea. It, it, there's a lot of similarities in the culture and the sort of convenience and the way that people run businesses. They're, you know, they're open-minded and they're driven. Mm -hmm. But there's a, so much difference being north of the border in the way that people are, in the way the politics is, in the way, you know, just the way that the country's run. And I think that it has so many differences that I really appreciate. It's got this real good mix um, of, it's got that American style and that American um, sort of convenience level, but it's also got this whole Canadianism that I think is really hard to describe. But when you're here, you really get it and you understand it. It's more, more relaxing. I just feel less stressed when I'm in Canada than I am in America or Britain, to be honest. And so I think that's, that's a huge part for me for life. Um, but for business, what has been, and I say this to a lot of my friends back home, What's been eye-opening to me is it's a t we're attached and incredibly closely linked to one of, if not the biggest market in the world, um, and yet we're, we're out here. And so while, of course, there's challenges selling into another country, it feels very, it doesn't feel that challenging to me um, to open that market compared to with when you're in Europe, if you're in England particularly, you're selling to Brit Britain a lot, but there's language barriers between France and Spain and Italy and the rest of Germany and the rest of Europe. Whereas here, that barrier is gone, and I think it, you can build a really solid business while basing yourself in Canada, getting all the advantages that the government can offer you, that the lifestyle can offer you, and then still build a business that essentially, um, whose market is essentially North America, not just um, not just Canada. So that's what I think has been, uh, for me, has been a real benefit. And obviously having a British accent, I think, has helped open a few doors as well, because you call someone from Kansas, and you're like, hello. <laughs> Bloody hell, and they all, you know, they lap it up. So that's been, been useful for uh, you me. you got to leverage James Bond somehow, right? So. <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> well, very good. Well, Olive. 
Tell me about it. I mean, this is a company and an idea that I really love. So tell me about Olive. So, I mean, in a nutshell, what we're doing is we're streamlining enterprise technology evaluations. And I don't know if everybody understands how difficult technology evaluations are, but, uh, you know, they're often looking mm-hmm. at three or four options and it's taking them over a year to make decisions. And so one of the problems that we have today is that with so many different technologies out there, so much software out there, making a decision for a business is way more difficult than it's ever been mm-hmm. because there's so many specific options for you. And the issue is getting it wrong can be incredibly costly. Oh, yeah. Because if you make that wrong decision and you try and implement something company-wide, it doesn't get adopted. You may have to repurchase something because no one's using it. It may have a load of customizations, which often happens, mm-hmm. large things like ERPs, etc. Uh, and then you're spending into the millions in customizations, etc. And so this decision is really, really vital. The issue is that because it's so difficult and it's so lengthy, really people are getting it wrong more than they're getting it right. And so the, the, the way that people have done this traditionally is they'll maybe use an outside consultant, a third party that can help them navigate the waters and has some basic knowledge. But again, even the consultants are using manual processes. So again, they're only looking at three or four options. It's taking them a year. And so that's worked through emails and spreadsheets. And honestly, they're almost in the technological dark ages when they're running these processes compared to a salesperson who has Salesforce, Marketo, you name it, any number of sales enablement tools. So what me and my co-founder did was we saw this opportunity here to bring that sort of change that CRMs have done for salespeople, that marketing automation has done for marketers, and have that same sort of impact for this group of people, particularly business analysts, IT project managers, and IT slash digital consultants mm-hmm. that are solving this problem for their customers with these really old school methodologies bring that into the into the new wave. So essentially what we offer is a, a software platform to, to enable that, the value of a, a consultant uh, in software. So it scales too. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's kind of the point. We look at, you know, some of our customers plan to do three or four projects a year. They end up doing 10 in 12 months <laughs> um, and they end up doing way faster with less resources. So they're able to innovate much faster, which obviously in COVID times, everybody's thinking, how can we innovate? We need to innovate faster than we ever have before. Um, and we have less money to do it than ever before. So we, we see that this is a really good opportunity to, to own that. Again, after David, David spoke with you, he gave me kind of the lowdown. And I thought, wow, that this is like such a great idea. Um, because enterprises, it's not about spending the money. It's about, it's about time. And it's about, you know, so the resources is important, but it's not as important as being behind schedule because they took a wrong decision. And if you can help them guide through that decision, like that's a that's huge amount of value. And, uh, you know, so I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, we're loving it. And, and one of the things that we're really happy about, I always wondered whether I can have some moral value in things that I'm doing. I always try and apply some sort of moral value. And one of the things as a salesperson, as I mentioned earlier, I was not born to be a salesperson. I didn't like, I just kind of fell into the role. And mm-hmm. one thing that I noticed is the amount of bias. I'm, my job essentially was to bias companies into buying what I was selling them. Sometimes that mm-hmm. I was biasing them towards the right decision because I knew that the product was the right decision. And in some cases, I was biasing them into buying it because it hit my quota. And sometimes it wasn't mm-hmm. perfect and there were maybe better options. And so that didn't really sit very well with me um, or my co-founder. And mm-hmm. that's one thing that I think the buyer just accepts now that the, the solutions that are out there today are taking money from vendors and or if they're not taking money from vendors, they're biased in some other way of things that they just happen to know about. There's all these kinds of biases that come into these decisions. And it's not just a fact of it takes ages and, you know, I can only pick a few. That's why I get it wrong. In many cases, 
you'll end up being biased, whether that's through salespeople or internal politics or whatever it might be. And that's one of the things we're trying to do is let people just have completely objective view of what their decision is, their decision criteria and how it's going to impact the business so that they can take that bias out of the, the, the process as well, which is, that's kind of our, like our moral yeah. win is what, where we're pushing it for, you know? You know, and I think that's great. I mean, at the end of the day, you're just trying to make, help them with the best decision. And, you know, if, if what you're selling really is trust. And, um, you know, and I think that's really important. And I think companies need to have, you know, a moral a moral direction, a moral compass. But at the end of the day, every company needs trust and or your, your business is gone. And, and the fact that you're, you know, I'm not going to say what you're offering is vanilla because, you know, there's probably some sweets that, you know, are going to be great for this one and maybe not so great for that one. But, you know, as long as they know that that their best interest is being looked after and they have that trust, I think that's a, you know, you can keep running and running and gunning with a business like that, which is fantastic. Well, well all of the name. Why? Well, firstly, we're not very good at naming companies. How's that for a start? <laughs> uh, yes, um, my co-founder and I actually started our first company together. We were um, we kind of contacted a lot of bike couriers in Vancouver in mm-hmm. 2013, and we were trying to deliver food essentially, deliver restaurant food or your laundry or whatever. Postmates had just started in the US, so we sort of latched onto that mm-hmm. and thought, "Oh, let's do a bigger version in Canada and then sell it to someone in the US." Um, so it's basically Deliveroo, Postmates. Uber Eats, whatever. Um, we called it Guy to Go. Mm. And so that was our name for the first one and not the best, right? <laughs> so that gives you an example of how good Dan and I are naming companies. Uh, that company obviously didn't go anywhere. Um, and with, with Olive, the idea is that we're bringing buyers and sellers together. We think there's a barrier between buyers and sellers today and they're at war with each other technically. You, know, you have salespeople building sales forces and battle cards and winning deals and this. All of these war metaphors um, with sales and with the buying cycles. And so we believed that we could be an olive branch between buyers and sellers. Mm. And that's where the name olive came from. It Also, you can talk to olive and say, olive, what should I look at this next quarter, et cetera, et cetera. So it seemed to fit. There is a rebrand coming soon uh-huh. where the branch is more included in it. It's still gotcha. called olive, okay, but we're good. just moving to a little bit more... Uh, Making it a bit easier for people to understand without me having to spend 20 minutes explaining it to everyone. How many startups have you had before you landed on all of them? Well, I mean, this is really the first one that I've gone for. It. This is the first one where we, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just decided that's it. We're going for it. Quit my job and, and went for this whole hog. Other things that I've done, you know, I did run a, a catering company back in the UK uh, for bars mm-hmm. and action. I used to be a cocktail bartender, flair bartender. So we used to do of course wedding events. Um, and so that was, that was super fun. So that was kind of like my first business, really. Uh, I operated a, a small retail company on the side with my wife called leggings.ca, which was pretty good, mm-hmm. just short lived. Uh, we realized how difficult retail was pretty quickly. Uh, it was fun while it lasted, but, uh, that was, uh, that was a tough one. Um, and then obviously, like I said, we had Guy to Go. We did an ad block thing, Dan and I. So we've always had this itch, this entrepreneurial itch. And what I realized with this startup, for the first time, was if you actually go whole hog, it's the hardest thing you ever do. It's way harder than you expect. It takes way longer to do than you ever think. But it's actually more rewarding and lower stress, I think, than anything else I've ever done. So I think like that's what I learned from just these dipping my toes in events is once you dive in, you re- that's when you get the full value out of it and the full experience. And it's been so far, it's great. Do you think you could ever go back and work? You can't see my air quotes on here, but work for the man after after doing your first startup or doing your own startup? I mean, I, I haven't tried it. I don't think I would like it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting because um, 
I think there's a lot of freedom in, in sales as long as you own it. You have, you're almost like your own little boss and you have a lot of freedom. Uh, and when you're a startup and you have investors, you also kind of have a little bit of a boss. There's a little bit of pressure there. So I don't know. I, I, don't, I honestly couldn't answer that question. From all the, all the mentors that I have, every single one of them says never. So I think it would, but most of them have tried it. Most of them have gone back and done a job and been like, I hated it. So I think I'd, I'd, have, to, I'd have to test it to find out, but um, I definitely don't want to go back. <laughs> I'll say that right now. Well, I, I remember when I did my first my first startup with, with David, and this was in 1999 in the ski industry. And I remember when I just said, hey, dad, you know what? I got to do this. I quit my job as a lifeguard. You know, that's how advanced I was while still in university. And uh, I said, I just got to do this. And the conversation I had with my dad, my dad's who's always, you know, he's worked for the, for the airlines and it's always been steady and, you know, whatever. He's like, I don't really understand why you'd want to do that because it's scary, I would imagine. And, you know... I reflect on it now and think about, you know, I can see from his perspective, but at the end of the day, I can't imagine not doing it. Like, I can't imagine, you know, the day that TTT, you know, the, the experiment that it is finishes or whatever it is, I'll be doing something just like it, I assume. I can never go back. But I think you have to be cut from a certain a certain cloth. And and I think you can also recognize people who were born to do this. And I, I would definitely say you are one of those people who are born to do this. What, what, when, when you see an entrepreneur, do you ever have a where you say, okay, maybe your idea is going to be bad, but I know you're going to be successful, you know, at whatever you do? Do you, do you, do you recognize those people? I, I think I recognize both ways, actually, Chris. I think I've mm -hmm. seen, I, I think I've seen both. I've seen people whose ideas you just think, oh, this is never going to work. But I know somehow you're going to figure out a way to make something work. And the beauty of startups, I think, is that ability to pivot and move. You know, at, at Techstars, I was just in Techstars Seattle, and some of the companies mm -hmm. had to pivot so hard from what their business mm -hmm. was. Um, but you just knew that they were going to be able to get grit and determination, they could do it. I've also seen the other side where I thought, this is a phenomenal idea and this is fantastic, but you're not going to be able to execute this. And I've seen that play out as well, where, you know, great ideas with poor execution have just died. Um, and, you know, sometimes bad ideas with great execution do really well, right? So, um, so yeah, I think there's, there's definitely something about that individual that's just got, to me, it's grit and determination, I think is the biggest thing. I think you can have all sorts of different personalities that can be successful entrepreneurs. I don't think it takes one you know, cookie cutter version of a human being to make mm -hmm. it. But that, that grit and determination and creativity, uh, there's just that little center. Of, if people have that and they, you can notice in that, it, I think anyone can do anything if they've got that. You I 100% agree. Well, okay. So Techstar Seattle. I mean, I was, I remember seeing this on LinkedIn and I was so excited for you guys when I saw that you were accepted as one of the 10, uh, 10 companies and the only Canadian one from my understanding. How did Techstars help you? Textiles was was great, to be honest with you. I think that um, being in Vancouver is, is wonderful. You know, we talked about it, but it's a next level. When, as soon as you cross that border, the, the exposure that you have in terms of network is, um, is incredible. And for me, you know, as a salesperson, I had customer network in the U.S., but I didn't have investor connections in the U.S. And that was just the, the, the way my network grew within the investor community was incredible. Meetings with, with partners at firms like Excel, et cetera, I would never, I just never would be able to get those meetings and being able to do that. That was phenomenal. But from a business standpoint, we went in there very much shooting from the hip. We were Dan and I just doing what we can do, being as creative as possible and being scrappy as we could going in there 
we were very unpolished and coming out, we had, you know, weekly metrics. We have daily standups with the team every day now. Um, everything's measured. I almost feel like we're a real company. You know, I think we became a real boy after the, um, after Techstars because they just, it's like a boot camp where they just whip you into shape, right? And they just, they, they see raw talent and they turn it into, into quality businesses. And yeah, coming out the other side, feel confident, more excited than ever. Uh, I would highly, highly recommend Techstars to uh, any company in Vancouver or anywhere, to be honest. Well, fantastic. How, how are you received as, as, a, as a Canadian Brit? How are you received by, the, by your peers there? Having this British accent just gives you like an extra personality, even if you haven't got one. So I think that helps just regardless. So I got pretty well accepted just because <laughs> people were interested in England. So I think I've got, you know, the Queen and, uh, and the history of England to thank for that. But we're, we're a little bit different. We're, we're a boring B2B SaaS company, but we are doing something innovative in a boring space. We're from Canada and we're, we're selling into the US. That's interesting. Um, and our founders have got pretty different backgrounds. So, um, yeah, we were pretty well accepted. It was an awesome group. I mean, companies from all over, right? There was, there were B2C companies. There was a robotics company that was doing some incredible things, health tech, um, all over the place. There was coffee, blockchain stuff. There was all sorts of different companies and all sorts of different people from, you know, Atlanta, Philadelphia, um, all over the place. A lot from Seattle, obviously. Um, and I think that, yeah, everyone was just super friendly. Everyone was in the same space, like just kind of trying to figure out what the business is going to be and really building, um, all in the same spot. And we still talk now. We have monthly check-ins. I have these, we have the CEO group where we can connect. And if we're stressed out about anything, we just jump in and, and pull each other in to one side and chat. And yeah, it's been awesome. I wasn't sure if the environment was kind of like, you know, super supportive, which I was hoping and kind of expecting, or if it was like survivor, you know, like, hey, dude, you're not good. You should not be on this island with me. You know, that that sort of attitude is, but you, you think it's more supportive? So I was really hesitant to do accelerators, mm-hmm. um, partly because they take, you know, the, the, the deal terms, basically the investment, they invest some cash, but the majority of the investment is their time and the actual program. Um, in exchange for, you know, a small part of the company. And so that was obviously, it put me off, but I've got so much good feedback on it. I applied and when we got in, we made the decision to join. What we found, I wasn't sure either, just like you. I thought it might be a battleground uh, where everybody tries to be the, the best dog at the, at, the, at the show in demo day. But what actually we found is that the whole thing, when you get into the community, it's almost like a Harvard alumni community kind of thing, right? Where now we've got access to founders, not just from our cohort, but from cohorts, any cohort around the world from previous years um, and future years. And so access to them for lead generation, for hiring, for just advice and mentorship has been amazing. I mean, we have advisors now who are very high up in Microsoft. You know, the head of cloud engineering from SAP is, is um, you know, an investor and mentor for, for Dan from the engineering side. And, like, these are people that just, like, stay with you forever. And it's not just because we got into Techstars and we put a logo on top of our name saying we were in it. It's because friends that are in there, they happen to know some people. Mm-hmm. And then they get introduced. Some people wanted to expand to Canada. We're here for you, right? Like, if, if you need to come up to Canada, we know people that we can introduce them to. And it's... uh yeah, it's like, it, this sounds so cheesy, man. I hate saying it, but it kind of sounds like it's a little bit of a family. It's like a little textiles family that you become part of. And it, I never thought I'd say, this is not an ad for textiles, by the way. <laughs> Returning the, it's an ad for textiles. It's good. I'll leave it at that. You have the secret handshake. You know, you're, you're, you're in the group. You're down pat. I mean, I, I think it's great. And I love the fact that you touched on, you know, it's not just your uh, cadre of groups. It's, it's, you know, once you're in Techstars, you're in Techstars. And it, and it brings, it brings weight. 
you know, um, and, and, um, and again, I kind of touch on that, that trust. I mean, as long as you're supportive with that whole group, they're going to be supportive of you. You know, the second that you try to look like, oh, I, I don't want to work with you or I don't, which is never you. I mean, I already know you're, 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 you're a builder. You're not a destroyer. Um, but you know, you can go so long or so far that way. And I, I think that's great. Now, did you move down to Seattle for that? Or what was your, what was your commitment to the city? Yeah, we did. We, um, we had a crazy year. My wife and I went to England in October of last year. We were there until January, start of January. Then we landed back in Vancouver for two days and then moved to Seattle. And so we were in a, an area called Ballard, uh, which was really cool. I've been down to Seattle a lot for work, but we've never really experienced Ballard because there's no business there. Uh, but it was really cool, really cool community. And so that was really fun. Uh, and then we you know, started the program in February. We were there February, March, mid-March, COVID happened. My wife kept wanting to move back to Canada. I was like, oh, let's just give it out. This the apartment was way better than our apartment, to be honest. That was amazing. <laughs> we had like a big apartment within sweet laundry and all sorts of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we wanted to stay. But my wife won, won in the end and said, we've got to go back. Trudeau kind of pushed us a little bit. On the, he came out and said, you've got to come, Canadians come home. And so we did. And very happy we did, to be honest with you, because being here is, uh, is pretty great. And we've, you know, I've been back with the team and, um, and that's been awesome. It's just been awesome being around everybody and being back there. Well, very good. Well, I mean, has the has the pandemic and all the, the, the fun that comes with it? I mean, I've heard positive sides, and I'm not talking about the health side. I'm talking about the business side, obviously. I mean, has there been, you know, some big challenges or, or you know, pivots you've had to make because of it? The pandemic, I don't think anyone really, like, regardless, even if you're 3M and you're making a bunch of masks, I don't think you can really say that it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously a bad, it's a bad thing for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, there's been challenges and positives. Uh, from a you know from a business standpoint, the, the big challenge for us was we had a lot of restaurant companies. Mm. So we had restaurant customers, um, and a lot of our pipeline was was large restaurants. I'd just spoken at Mertec, which is the biggest restaurant technology conference, and so we had an awesome pipeline of restaurants, and that just died, of course. Um, and so, and even if even if it wasn't the ones we were talking to, you, we couldn't be out there saying pay for our software and etc. Everyone was giving everything away to support to find other verticals like technology and randomly engineering. I have no idea why, but that seemed to they seemed to to latch onto it. We signed a constru- large construction company in Saudi Arabia um, from expanding this out, and we realised that you know we have this opportunity, and particularly when people can't be in person doing meetings and having these consultative sessions, the ability to collaborate in an application to run these same processes that they're doing normally in boardrooms, etc., um, has actually got an advantage. So we pivoted by just expanding our reach out to different verticals and just bringing that forward, and we've had some success in it. So that's that's been good. Um, I think that. Obviously, our ability, we're taking a manual process and moving it online. So obviously, just generally that, that's a positive for us in terms of, uh, in terms of business. And also a lot of people are doing digital transformation pretty aggressively. People don't know what to do with COVID now that people can't be in person. So they're figuring out what technology do I need to support the new world? And so that digital transformation, which obviously is exactly what Olive's for, is helping you speed up digital transformation. Again, you know, that that's a positive. You know, the negative side is we don't know what's going on. The world is crazy. I don't like it feels good now, but anything could change in a week. And we've got people in the office right now, but you know, the news came out this week. We may be that may be slowing down, even here in, in BC. So uh, you know, I think uh, what I've always said about this pandemic is it's here. And the best thing is not to think about like what could what it could have been like if it wasn't here. The best thing to think is well, you're here. So what can we do while we're in it 
and how can we make the best of the current situation? Because everyone's in it and you've just got to kind of adapt. So, yeah. yeah. Running a business, I think that's the only perspective. I mean, right now we're doing the worst case, best case, probable case scenarios pretty much weekly um, because things change like crazy. The wind is blowing. Um, but I think you have the right attitude. I mean, you have to be realistic. That's that's the first thing, you know, right? And you can't worry about what it was like a month ago or two months ago. You have to worry about what's it going to be like in, in a couple of, a couple of months. And, uh, you know, but the, but the nice thing is for what you guys are serving too is the tech is getting so good at allowing people to work remotely uh, and at scale. And there's a lot of good options, which is which is good for you because uh, or all of as a company, because, you know, with the more options, you need more people to hold hands to, to, to figure out what's the best, you know, specifically for my my business, my industry, whatever that is. Um, so I see there's a lot of upside uh, for, for what you're doing, um, you know, just uh, because change brings uh, well, change brings change. Yeah, you know? totally. Let's see. I, I, Oh, this is one I've really been dying to ask, okay? All right, you are a Guinness World Record holder, apparently. Is that true? It is true. There's a, technical, there's a technicality to it, mate. Okay, doesn't matter. If, if, if it's true, it's true. Tell me about it. It's, uh, it's a group. It's a shared world record. So I share it with 100 other people. Okay. 101 of us uh, performed the world's largest tandem flare routine. <laughs> Flair bartending, if you remember the movie Cocktail, you've of seen course. Cocktail? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A classic. All bartenders must watch Cocktail. So I was obsessed with that movie. And I was a flair bartender. So I was, I was actually a pretty decent flair bartender at one point in my life. And we, um, the, the company I was working for put together a world record attempt. So you can flare individually, which is juggling bottles, catching them on your head, all that sort of stuff. But doing it in sync is That's quite tough. challenging, right? Mm -hmm. So often you'll have tandem, which is two people forming a routine together. We attempted the biggest ever. So 105 people performed a, and so they oh. were out. Uh, but 101 of us finished it. And so we got uh, a Guinness World Record for the largest tandem flare routine. It's on YouTube, but I can share you a link afterwards. You can check it out. I think that's fantastic. I used to skateboard. I used to do the, I mean, I'm wearing my skateboard shirt now. Hard to see, but uh, my son got that for me for Father's Day. I'm pretty happy because I had it when I was in grade eight. Um, Very cool. In my head, I can mentally imagine what those, you know, a kickflip and all that. I mean, I actually did a kickflip a couple of days ago. Scared as hell. Oh, I'm 47. But, um, but um, you know, I can imagine what all those feel like. What's your favorite flare mo you know, flare trick? And can you feel it right now as you do it? <laughs> well, you get enough beer in me, mate, the flare bottles always come out. I'll always, you know, I'll always have a go at it. But uh, I used to love elbow bumps a lot. So mm -hmm. an elbow bump is where you kind of throw the bottle over your arm and then you bounce it off your elbow multiple times. And so you the chicken wing. Yeah, yeah, you kind of chicken wing in it. You got it. Um, and you just kind of bounce it off your elbow and then you'll land it on your hand or you'll land it on your arm or you'll it's called a stall where you stop mm -hmm. the bottle somewhere. So I used to love doing that, just doing as many of those as I can do. Um, elbow, and like, nice. yeah, it sounds really cheesy when I say it. And like, yeah. uh, knocked a tooth, I think my front tooth got knocked out, knocked out flaring one time. So it's, a, <laughs> it's an extreme sport too. And I it's not quite as extreme as skateboarding, but you can injure yourself. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I am so proud to admit that I met the wonderful Mrs. Hobbs at the Roxy. Uh, and that's why my dog is the Roxy. Yes, I'm oh, admitting no that on, on here. Please tell me that you met your wife while flaring. Uh, she was bartending. Oh, okay. To be fair, she was yeah. bartending. And she did say that flaring um, was one of the things that attracted her to me <laughs> at the time, which is very cheesy. Um, I don't know if she'd admit that now. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it was a it was a useful tactic. It's funny you mentioned the Roxy. Actually, there was a, a guy. We, there used to be flare videos. Mm-hmm. So just like the skate videos, there were these flare videos, and it was people from all over the world that would do because um, flare competitions were pretty big in sort of era. And there was a guy on one of these videos who was just like a clown. He was just he wasn't an amazing flarer, but he was funny, and he would do really funny stuff with the balls. Just like you have in skate videos, right? Some of them aren't that good, but they just, like, bail in a funny way. And he was kind of one of those. And I found out that he, when I first came here, I found out he worked at the Roxy, and he still yeah. worked at the Roxy. It's a, li- it's, a life- it's a lifetime thing, it seems like, because I'm shocked how many people have been there for 20 years, 30 years. Totally. He was, he was, and it was exactly the same time. I was like, no way. And then he got me drinks all night. And I think that was the last time I've been to the Roxy, actually. But, um, yeah, he was still there. That was, like, my connection to that place. So there you go. You know what? I'm going to touch on it again. I think you, you're a really good salesperson. I, I think you really try to understand what's the problem and then you try to solve it. You know, it's not it's not just talk. I think you really care and I think you really are trying to solve a problem, which is, again, brings value. So for any other future entrepreneurs or any young entrepreneurs out there, what advice can you give around how how do you try to help with sales advice? What, what Any sales advice? What could you recommend? There's lots of things. I think there's all sorts of advice and there's also contradictory advice you can give uh, as salespeople. The one thing that I've seen that's changed me and, and made me most successful is just asking for anything you want. Hmm. And I think that goes for life and it goes for sales. If you just ask, the worst thing someone can do is say no. Hmm. And as long as it's not a rude thing you're asking for, um, you know, you're going to get some people saying yes. I mean, that Facebook trip was a perfect example. 100%. Where it was just like, 100%. just ask for it. And if you know, the worst thing you could have said is no. Okay, cool. Well, I'm in San Francisco anyway. It just would have been nice to go. Um, and so that's what I would say to most salespeople is never be afraid to ask uh, for something because the good, the upside is that you move on and you get something really awesome. And the downside is nothing changes in your life. So like, I think that's that would be my number one piece of advice. One thing that I do tell um, our aspiring salespeople and other people that I, uh, I talked about this topic is that I had a relatively interesting start to the career. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a bartender for many years. I was actually a poker player professionally for a year. Nice. I did stand-up comedy. <laughs> I did quite a lot of things. And what all those all those paths have in common is that they teach you not to have a specific amount of respect for anyone for any particular reason, right? Just because of their title mm-hmm. or for anything, right? Like a janitor deserves as much respect as a as a CEO, right? They're still human beings until you know them, and then maybe that janitor actually deserves more respect than <laughs> that here, right? You, know, you never know, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that one of the things that, one of the mistakes salespeople make, junior salespeople, and I did, the, you know, I, I had a, a dabble in this, in this challenge as well, is that you'll meet someone and you'll be on the phone with a VP of sales or a, a CEO or someone really important that you want to sell to, and you act differently around them mm. because you have this um, sort of aura around them. They're much better than you and that they're, a, you know, oh, I need to be a certain way because that's what they'll want. And what actually happens then is that you can't connect with the people love. And so where, whereas if you go in with the mentality of this is just another human being, I know I can bring value to and I know I'm here to help this human being. And it's just a person on my level and treat them as a peer. Then you are able to have the confidence in yourself and to be yourself that that other person on the end of the phone or on the other end of the boardroom table recognizes, respects, and wants to communicate with. And that's when you really get successful relationships built and successful sales done is when you can be yourself with someone, build that relationship, and uh, and build that kind of rapport. So that's what I would say is just you know, treat everybody as equals mm. um, and don't change yourself for anyone. And 
Ask for whatever you want. I think that's that's great advice. And again, I, I, I keep harping on this, but again, I think that's, again, how you build trust is, you know, not by trying to be or who you want to be for them, but just be who you are. And, you know, at the end of the day, trust is going to win out. Like, I've had weird experiences in the past with billionaires, okay? I've met, a, I've met probably about four or five billionaires in business over the time. And the thing that I noticed that's most interesting about them is, again, money doesn't matter. It's, it's time. And I've never been around a group who is more efficient and I've also learned that they don't take any BS. Like if you start doing exactly what you said, where you, they, they just, I mean, I've been in a, I've been in a room with um, uh, Vinod Kosla, for example, okay? And, and it's amazing, or his wife, and it's amazing. She does this, like, she goes, why are you in the room? Yeah, I don't want you in the room. Why are you in the room? I don't want you in the room. And it's not, it's just about time, right? It's about, it's about that. But then, you know, you get nervous, but then you have to gut up and say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to be who I am and I'm going to sell that. And any, anyhow, have you ever had to interact with anyone that makes you like, it's an abnormal relationship. It's something that you got in your head going, oh my gosh, this is like, you know, a, a kingpin in Silicon Valley. How do I be myself? Because I think you're right. I mean, you had, I had to swallow it up and, and be myself because they would have turfed me in two seconds. Have you ever had to have some time where you felt like it, you didn't want to be yourself or that that you needed to be yourself or or uh, the border mm. ah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to think honestly i just i don't want to sound it almost sounds like someone else i probably have acted as someone else for a number of reasons um you know i've been around very successful people i've been um you know introduced to them but i just found maybe it's just the bartender piece of just a bartender for so long and i used to serve people that were super multimillionaires, maybe not billionaires but super wealthy people and people that weren't at all worked in factories and they sat next to each other and they would talk to each other and i talked to them and i i just don't think that i don't know my wife probably when i first met her actually there you go that's a good one my wife was probably the most intimidating person when i first met because i was obsessed for me, it was love at first sight. For her, it was love after about nine months. <laughs> so it was like, I think maybe those first nine months, I was probably acting uh, considerably more debonair than maybe I, you know, I'd have my legs crossed with everything. I read broadsheet newspapers. Figure up. So, yeah, <laughs> totally. So actually, there you go. That's a, that's a perfect example. Um, and then soon enough, she got to know the real me. She loved the real me, which was great. So I didn't have to read broadsheets anymore, which was awesome. <laughs> I love that. Um a younger Chris Hurd comes by. What advice do you give yourself from 10 years ago? Moisturize yeah. probably would be a big one. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I've learned being, uh, well, being married to, my wife's not only care has been, a, is not particularly, uh, you know, a high priority for British people, notoriously. Um, but she's really pushed that on me. So I would probably say, you know, take care of that pretty early. Um, but I've got this theory, Chris, that if you're happy today, which I am, then you, you you shouldn't try and change anything in your past. And you should be grateful for every little thing that's happened, whether it's bad or good throughout your, throughout your life, because every day I'm happy with who I'm married to, I'm happy with my job, I'm happy with, you know, right now, this is a, content, a moment of contentment. So if I saw a younger Chris Hurd, um, I'd say just keep doing it, don't question yourself and keep doing what you're doing, because um, it's going to be awesome and you're going to be happy. So I'd probably just say that, yeah. I love that. I honestly love that. Well, in a recent interview, you actually mentioned that this might be a good time for investors to invest in companies that might have a high potential for success after the pandemic. Um, 
Can you explain your thinking process for making evaluations? Um, as many people might disagree with the statement due to the uncertainty of the, the current business landscape. I've thought about this one quite a while, quite a bit, uh, particularly as you know, going into COVID, we were in textiles, we were on a high, and then COVID hit, and we've come out of it. Um, and investors' conversations are very different before and during COVID. Uh, you know, if you hear anything from Warren Buffett, he always says, ignore the herd, right? Do the opposite of what the herd's doing. So when they're all selling like crazy, that's when you should be buying. When they're all buying like crazy, that's when you should be selling. And I think that that's, that sort of um, contrarian mentality makes for successful investors in general. But when we look at tech specifically, there isn't a recession or major mm-hmm. negative global event that hasn't given birth to the biggest tech companies, right? Mm-hmm. Facebook, Apple, Google all came out. Right, you name it, all the big players start in these downturns. And I think part of it is because the companies that start when things are high, when things are rolling, there's thousands of them that are going nowhere. And it's a lot of people that just, they, they call them entrepreneurs, right? You watch Shark Tank and you want to be something. And I think that happens a lot during the, the good times. When times are hard, startups are really hard. And so the, the people that run companies in hard times and keep through them with hard times generally are the people that are built for the long run. And so mm. that's one area where I think the people that you're investing in, in tough times, are the right people to be investing in. But then when you look at companies mm-hmm. specifically, and when I mentioned, you know, now's the right time to be investing in tech specifically, is that things change, like industries change in these monumental global shifts. So this is one of the mm-hmm. most incredible that I've experienced um, in terms of global changes. And what happens is industries, industries need to change and adapt, and technology helps make that change. Mm-hmm. I can speak for us where you know the people that we're serving are going from a very manual process that takes too long and is fraught with bias and um, inefficiencies. They need to digitize. They need to do something different. And, and so this is the kind of opportunity to change that status quo because people are looking for change and looking for answers. When things are going well, nobody wants to change. They don't want to change the processes because it's going well. I think now is the time to, if you're investing in companies, if you've got, you know, if you're, if this is your time to be putting capital into technology, you can find some absolute gems because now is the time that the industries are actually going to change because people are going to have to because they haven't got a choice to make. So that's why I think both from a, business standpoint and from a you know a person and an entrepreneur standpoint the businesses that have started now or started just before the pandemic and keep going those are going to be the ones you're going to see in 10 15 years um and that's why you know most investors that are investing at our stage that's their horizon right they're looking at five to ten years they're not looking mm-hmm. at a year or two years how much money they can turn around and so this covid it's not going to last forever we're going to settle down whether mm-hmm. covid stays with us and we just figure out a new normal or it goes away in five ten years time you know, the world's not. If this isn't going to be exactly the same, right? And I think that's why you know, I think it's a. I think it's a great opportunity to take advantage of that and, and invest. That's just my opinion, though, of course, and people are welcome to disagree. I, I think you're 100% bang on. I mean, again, you know, you look at the Airbnbs, all these that came out of 2008. Um, I think a lot of it also has to do with you know they're they're expecting to be hungrier longer. And, you know, and, and this is, this changes. So, I mean, 2008, Canada didn't really get too affected by it. I mean, we did, but I would say, you know, since those days, deal flow is so much bigger. I mean, the, 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 the investments, you know, the capital, uh, capital that attracts in Canada, it's so much better now. This one is such a chaotic difference because this isn't just like a business economic decision. This is, you know, 
I can't see my mom anymore right now. You know, like this is a big change culturally. And I think humans want to hug. So what we need to do is we need to figure out the services, the, the tech, everything that's going to allow us to be human, get through all this because I want to hug at the end of the day. I hate coming to the office and having a chicken wing people. It just doesn't feel natural, you know? So I, I, I do think this is actually a really good time to invest. Uh, and, and I would also say that because a lot of what's been affected with COVID has been the service industry mostly. Like it's really hit them harder than anyone. Um, I think there's a lot of great people that are sitting around and trying to think of ideas because I've had a couple come up to me uh, and pitch, pitch to me. Um, some pretty good ideas that I think, you know, I don't know if some of them are the right people to do it. That would, that, and that kind of comes back to the, you know, great idea, bad, you know, bad people to make it happen as opposed to bad idea, but I know they're going to be successful. It, it just kind of, my gut says, uh, that's going to be a hard win, uh, because you know, you're from a totally different industry. Granted, I did my undergrad in history and Russian. I mean, look at what I'm in. It, it doesn't really matter. Right. And I also think this is a really, really good time to do a startup. I think, you know what, instead of just, if, if you have time, down downtime, because, you know, maybe your restaurant's working at 30% capacity or 20% capacity, you know, and you're sitting around, I think now is the time, you know, so uh, go for it. Totally. I think that you, you, I look at even my COVID timeline, I sat around and ate pizza for, for quite a while. And then with my wife and I were like, man, this is ridiculous. So we learned swing dancing. We started to learn Italian. Like nice. we did other things personally. And I think that regardless, if you... If you can pick yourself off the couch, it's hard because I know, you know, obviously it's hard when you're struggling. It's really hard to make that decision. But if you can do it and pick yourself up and do something now, this is a great opportunity to, whether you're building a brand new business, which I think is an incredible thing to do, or even if it's just improving yourself in some way, of learning a new language or learning something, I think it's just a great time to do it. And I think the people that do that sort of thing, that take that kind of mentality, um, have an opportunity to build stuff. And I really hope there's a bunch of businesses that come out of this because realistically, I mean, you have, there's ideas now that you wouldn't even think of as being ideas before COVID, mm -hmm. right? There's so many things that I never thought I'd ever speak to my parents and my like, friends in England as much as I bloody do, but I am now and I love it. And so anything that can enable that kind of, like you said, like human interaction, no one was thinking that's essential. You know, we must get that immediately, but COVID's changed that. So I, I'm, I'm moderately hopeful for where we're going to be after. It's miserable while we're in it. Don't get me wrong. I want to be on third beach dancing and I want to hug everybody. Uh, we just don't have that opportunity. But uh, but I think once we get out of it, I, don't know, I, think I think there's going to be quite a bright shining light at the end of this tunnel. I've got some positive energy about it. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today. I've, I've really enjoyed I knew this was going to be fun. I will be watching all of, um, and it's growing, or the new rebranded all of, I got a little insider tip there keep doing great things if young entrepreneurs or even older entrepreneurs keep keep giving them great advice because honestly you've got you've got great advice to give and uh i just thank you for sharing today i, I really appreciate it thanks mate let's uh try and meet at the skate park and do some dad skating one time Break i would love that i would yeah. love that yeah I'll, I'll, I'll wear my braces you know and and crutches i'll take david's crutches um I'm into it. but anyhow you know what stay, stay strong stay at what you're doing and and I'll, i know i'll be following it and for those who don't know you've got to look up all of it's olive.app right now right olive.app yeah that's olive.app okay wonderful well chris have an amazing day and thank you so much thanks chris appreciate it take care Hey, Afternoon Tea listeners. If you got this far, I'm assuming you liked this episode, and that's awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please make sure to rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast on Apple Podcasts 
And also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever the heck you find your podcast from. Afternoon Tea is a brand new podcast. We do have some great guests lined up for our future episodes, but we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. So please do let us know who you'd like to hear from on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at T-T-T, that's three T's, dot studio. Notice there's no dot com because we're that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us on social media at TTT underscore studios. Have an amazing day.